Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I just totally got fucking hit by a fucking lorry, man. Like, like the wing mirror. I just parked up in my van, and um, we've just bought it. And this massive, like, skip hire thing just smashed the fucking wing mirror. Anyway, I love how unpurposefully chaotic your life can sometimes <laughs> be. Just to give people some backstory. Um, oh, we started. Yeah, this is it, mate. I just jumped straight in. I don't mess oh, about. Oh, cool. Um, so we're obviously doing a podcast. We're over Zoom. I was assuming it was going to be you at home, maybe sat at a desk or a chair with a beer, relaxing. And then Chaz told me that his internet had gone down, so he had to get in his vehicle and go driving to you know try and find somewhere with good enough signal. So he did that. And then en route to find the spot to do the podcast, he gets in a car accident. <laughs> just another day in the life of it is just my life it, it is just like that um and i have no explanation even now you're a dad and you live in the country quiet life it still throws you curveballs more so now on a regular kids, basis yeah yeah my kids are just mad you know they're just yeah i mean what do you expect you know like um <laughs> i mean I, I thought it was going to be like absolutely fabulous where you know I'd be the the lively 
mum, well, the lively parent, and uh, my kid would be, um, you know, like chilled out, but they're pretty wild. Yeah. Were you a, were you a hectic kid? Like, am I right in thinking you have now um, a diagnosed form of ADHD or ADD? AD, which ADHD, yeah. Well, ADD. ADD really. I mean, yeah. But when I was when I was a kid, I was um, super hyper. But I I, um, I used to live in a mansion, so so like a full on Georgian mansion, and my mum was a a, a um, matron there, so it was a boarding school, so we had a little flat. But um, I basically had free reign of the mansion and then the, these like massive, like six acre gardens. So, um, you know, it wasn't that apparent. Maybe it, obviously at school it was. Um, it was horrendous but, um, in the in the in the garden, you know. So I was just I was in the wild all the time and I was basically making campfires. Like I used to go to the butchers and get their offcuts that they used to give the dogs. And I used to get it and I just used to throw it on a campfire and gnaw on the... <laughs> you know lord of the lord of the flies like a style. feral like, little hobbit yeah 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 man, or, or yeah, lord of the flies was, as you say yeah <laughs> yeah so that was it was adhd heaven so uh well, that sounds okay. like quite an idyllic childhood dude like uh, was was your dad around no um that's straight to the point there matt <laughs> i mean yeah sorry that's just how i roll because <laughs> no it's good it's cool man Anybody, yeah, um, anybody so... who's familiar with your music will know that you've got a solo album out called american smile british teeth which is one of my favorite album titles ever. And that's obviously a nod to the fact that your mum's British, your dad's American, you're half and half, nailed it with the tea metaphor. Um, as much as you want to get into it, what was the home situation then with your mum, with your dad, with growing up? Um, well, my, my dad, um, so he didn't know his dad. Um, and the only time he, he, he was born in, in uh, Cape Cod, uh, Massachusetts, and he didn't know his dad. So he the only time he saw his, his own dad was apparently like getting onto a submarine. There was a submariner. And uh, that's all he can remember. And then he never met him again. And then he, my dad went in and out of care, I believe, um, for uh, um, quite some years. And then he joined the, the US Marines and um, um, recently told me about stories about him uh, being nuclear detonations in, in all those, you know, those tests that he did. And then just crazy, crazy stories like that. But um, and then came out of the Marines and got into the music industry. So he was um, the agent for the Doors. Um, he was a tour manager for a band called Love, Arthur Lee and Love. I know um, them, of course. I mean, this is yeah. rock and roll royalty. Yeah, yeah. He was um, he was definitely around that you know that era. And and I mean, Hilton Valentine from the Animals was his best man at his wedding. Um, so. He was, you know, in that as it was happening. And um, I think that, so he met my mum on tour with Love. Um, and basically... What was, what was your mum doing? My mum was working in the Hilton in in um, in um, London, um, where she, she actually, I mean, this is digressing slightly, but she also um, used to speak to Jimi Hendrix on, on the hotel um, thing. He used to come in, like, pretty high and speak to my mum over the, the exchange. Um, that's a little bit then. Um, over the exchange of the hotel, and um, is so this he, right before mom, he blew up? Because he obviously came to London, I guess, it to was find just bit, fame and and get big. Yeah, so this was this was just before he died, actually. So I think Chaz Chandler from the Animals brought him over. Yeah, and then um, he um, yeah, so he he was talking to my mum, and then he died like a few nights after, like kind of doing. And the police came to speak to my mum. She was like, you know, what connection did you have with Jimmy and 
so there was that weird connection even with that and then my dad came on tour and met her in the hotel reception and basically asked her out on a date and um and kind of like then they they sort of um you know um traveled back to the states and then got back and i think that it was just too much too young for them and um my mum sort of my dad was still involved in that scene trying to make ends meet you know um and then my mum um just decided one day it's like this isn't you know this isn't working there was all sorts of things involved like stories of of like gangsters and and like um pistol whippings on yachts and stuff so if my dad's listening to this i'm sorry i'm telling this story but yeah mm-hmm. um you know there's all these stories kind of involved with you know like smuggling over the mexican border and hashish in my nappies and shit like that um, well, what you're talking about if anybody's seen the movie blow is that right <laughs> that time frame those characters that kind of scene yeah yeah like i i think i think that um just because I think the music industry then was also quite involved in all that, I think. And well, well it was so I mean, new, wasn't it? And it there, there weren't rules. I mean, there aren't really rules now. But before the businesses took over, because that was the eighties, really, was when the banks and the kind of investors came in, and, mm. and it became more of a mm. money making business, you know, venture. It was always about money, but I think in the sixties and, and still in the seventies, it was more creative and loose. The lines were a bit more blurred gangsters were definitely involved particularly in the management side um and and obviously drugs were rampant so those people supplying the drugs are going to be on the scene as well exactly yeah yeah i mean i mean you know it was all a bit hunter s thompson and and um you know there's stories of of arthur lee from love going into his agents you know to discuss a contract with a shotgun you know carrying a shotgun into the agent's office and Saying, yeah, this is what I'm dealing with. You know, this is my negotiation tool. Um, so yeah, I think it was all a bit wild. Um, and, and he was still involved in that. And um, so yeah, my mum came back to Liverpool. And um, I mean, my dad, my dad always, you know, I grew up with him being in the states, and I always used to tell people, I'd be like, oh, my dad, you know, used to know Jimi Hendrix and whatever. And it was always this story my dad told me, and um, and he. Um, yeah he he was like oh and then recently went oh i found a picture of me and jimmy together and i was like what and it's my dad on stage um i think it was newport folk convention or something with adjusting Jimi hendrix's foot pedal in a high-res photo you know and and my dad when he was much much younger and i'm like holy shit you're on stage with me and my dad was like yeah of course you know i've told this story a million times but as a kid it's like you want to believe it but you know you 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 know, especially like if, if everyone's like at school, where's your dad? You know, he's in America. Oh, is he now? Yeah, and he used to know Jimi Hendrix. Did he? Do you know what I mean? And it was it, it was this thing I think that I didn't quite believe myself. And then recently he showed me that, and it's an incredible photo. I'll send it over to you to check out. But um, but yeah, he and then I didn't really I didn't speak to him until I was about nine. Um, and then um, so I never really knew him. And then at nine years old, I just answered the phone one day, and he's like, "Hello," and I'm like, "Hello," and he's like. I'm your dad, you know. <laughs> it just kind of, kind of went from there. And um, was so it I, just I you and your mum, Chaz, or did you have any brothers or sisters? I had a, I have a sister. Um, so she was in the UK with us until she was about fifteen, and then um, same dad. dad, same dad. Yeah, yeah. My my dad was like, oh, he lives in Lake Tahoe now, and he, he's been there a long time. And he he started a, um, he was one of the first people to design websites in california he's got a picture with him and and um the guy from apple not jobs the other one and um anyway um yeah my sister was like 
she lived with us till she's about 14, 15. And, and then she kind of, you know, they were like, well, do you want to go live with your dad? And because my sister had this like American kind of obsession, you know, she was always like, love Coca-Cola. She loved like the rock and roll thing. And then. Well, this so, time yeah, frame, she, right, is what, like 90s, mid 90s um, or a bit earlier? Um, yeah, like 91, 91, I think. So um, it was just when American culture was really taken over, over here. You know, like yeah. with movies yeah. and music and, and, you know, there was an obsession from the 80s on, I guess, from that kind of like Stand By Me, Goonies era. Yeah. That, that was yeah, when totally. American culture just began to dominate youth culture in the UK, didn't it? Yeah. And I, I think I think as well, it's not like now with, with all the social stuff. It's like, so you can probably, you, you know, you can walk around San Francisco with Google Maps. It was this mysticism, you know, this US mysticism of, of, of you know, these big sax, you know, saxophones and Coca-Cola and Levi's, Nick Cayman, I think he's called, like, you know, heard it through the grapevine, you know, that, that advert. And, and it was all these things. And my sister just used to be like, oh, yeah. And then obviously my dad was like, well, you've got a US passport, you know, come and live with us. So she went over there and then basically never came back, you know, and, and um, uh, I, you know, and then I would go over and I would do, you know, some season snowboarding and, whatever and go in and go and sort of live there for a bit and, and uh it was a bit bit patchy at the start you know what i mean um i think you know my dad didn't really quite get i think how to um you know look after a son and um, but then we, we had our ups and downs but you know recently we just kind of have really you know made up and i think it's that thing with your with your parents um when they're sort of separated you you know especially your dad you just want your dad to be proud of you you know like like and and when you you know you you're like in your forties or whatever and you're just like I just want my dad to be proud of you and then you go hold on it's like actually I'm all right now you know like like he's just a friend now let's just get on like a friend let's have a beer let's have a joke you know like he's a human he's just fucking trying to deal with his life with the cards he's been dealt and 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 you know and let's get on with it you know what I mean so instead of like constantly wanting that that acknowledgement I kind of came to the conclusion that um you know. Uh, I probably wasn't going to get it, and uh, I, do I need it now? You know what I mean. I, I don't think I do as much. So, Dude, that is exactly where I'm at with my dad. That, in a nutshell, defines my relationship with my old man as well, completely. For years, just like, why won't you encourage and support and be proud of me? And then you just turn a, a corner, don't you? Where you go, you know what? I get it. You're not a good dad, but I love you. So let's just, yeah. as you say, let's just be mates and <laughs> enjoy what time we have together. Yeah, and I think that like people like that really fucking struggle with saying those things you know like it's like i i i tell my son every night um you know i love i love you and i'm proud of you and he's like i know (laughs) (laughs) and i may be doing it too too much you know but the other day man because because he's got adhd as well and um he's like off the fucking scale man but um he's awesome you know he's awesome and he he, he is he is a lot of work and then he's constantly you know flying around like this in this maelstrom of like ideas and energy and then we were talking about deadly 60 which is the bbc um kids program about poisonous animals and stuff venomous animals i should say and um he 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 was oh, and i was like oh is that guy steve your hero and he just went to me no no you are and then like carried on you know carried on just playing into his little and i was just like it just hit me like um you know like a punch to the gut i was like holy shit like I've kind of gone, you know, no offense to my dad, but I've gone further than my dad with, did with me, you know? And it was, it was, it was kind of like, okay, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm not doing so bad as, as I thought I was. 
Have you, have um, you found it hard adjusting to parenthood, not having had a good model yourself? Or have you, by not having a model, known exactly what to do because of what you lack? Um, kind of, I had this conversation with a friend like two nights ago. And, and um, for me, it is, is um, I mean, my mum was, you know, um, obviously she kind of was a bit wild as well. But also, you know, did, did kind of a strange uh, style to being a mother, uh, very kind of relaxed sometimes but also you know there's a lot of stress in her financially but she was always very you know loving and and um, so you know I've got a lot to say about her for that but but I think it definitely is a thing of like what you haven't got you have reference to you know and you can just go like okay well you know my dad wasn't there on my birthdays you know he didn't call um I will now call on every or well I'll be I've not missed a birthday yet you know so and 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 it worst worst case scenario, I'm going to call and send presents and stuff like that. So, you know, um, yeah, it's a reference thing, man. And I think that I think that anyone can do it. And I think you know you have your own demons and stuff. But but I mean, I, I think progressing progressing. Well, I mean, it's made me stronger, to be honest. You know, like I think that's taught me that. Like it's made me have to be stronger and and deal with my shit. And and um, you know, it, especially Dylan, you know, because he's so you know full on. Um, you have to really get down to the nitty gritty and it's a, it's a kind of, you know, wake up, man, because if you don't, this ain't going to go very well. So um, it, it's amazing. Yeah. We've got to give some love to your mum because she she's a wonderful lady. I've had the pleasure of meeting her a couple of times at your shows. And um, I just love because I'm friends with her on Facebook as well. And I love how much she champions and celebrates what you do. You know, whenever you've got a show or, you know, like whatever you're doing creatively, your mum's behind you 100%, you know, shouting about it on Facebook as your cheerleader. Um, and that is a very special relationship. It's not one I have with my parents. Uh, it's not one many have, as you say, it is a unique bond where, you know, there's not many bands you go see and their mum's doing door at the gig, you know. <laughs> and and that was that was the first time I met your mum was at the... Uh, the Macbeth solo Macbeth. show you did in London a bunch of yeah. years ago now, but yeah, man, that's that's special. Yeah, yeah, she's awesome. She's she's she's. I, I think I think she struggled when we were younger because um, probably I was a bit of a nightmare. Um, but then when when we I became a teenager, um, you know, she started to really, you, you know, she was back in skate park. She was in the paper to get Derby skate park. She was um, at every gig, you know, she was rounding up the troops. Um, and I think because she could start to enjoy it and relate, as a, you know, to a teenager and um, go out and sort of enjoy herself more um, with me and my mates and, you know, their, their parents and stuff. Because Lightyear really was that, you know, it, it really was a, a community thing. Like everyone's parents would be there. Everyone's brothers would be there, their sisters, um, you know, just it was a, a, a time for everyone to get together and, and enjoy themselves. So yeah it, it's um she, she's always great she's always really good and, and she's always dead supportive like you say and, and yeah she's always like, i'm so proud of you and, and things like that so so yeah my mum's been a a rock and uh is a, is a bit of a legend really so um yeah it's good it's cool man so where where are your parents from then so my dad's from manchester my mum's from brecon in wales and and they oh, yeah. met they met super young um I mean, this is heavy, dude. This is really heavy, but I'll go. I'll go into it and share it with you because it's it's been a conversation I very recently had with my right. mum on Mother's Day just a couple of days ago. So um, I was the firstborn, and, and I guess at this point everything was cool, everybody was happy. 
the family was strong. And then I had a younger sister uh, who I didn't even know this until the other day. She passed away, but I, I assumed that she, I'd always assumed that she was born alive, but she was born unwell. And, and a few days into her life, you know, she just, she passed on. Because one of the first things I do remember is having the funeral for her. And it's like, you know, this tiny little, I mean, this is dark as fuck, but it's like a tiny little casket for obviously a baby. And, and after, after that, my parents were never the same again as you, as you wouldn't be. Um, and, and then I had another sister and they tried again and, and, and she's, you know, she's here. She's amazing. She's 30 this year. So she's seven years younger than me. Um, but they just never got back from, from that loss. But my mum just literally told me the other day that what actually happened and we just never spoke about it. Cause you know, these things are just taboo, aren't they? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And it's, it's a big regret of mine for not talking to her about this before, but she actually told me that Julia was, was the, the child's name. She passed away as my mum was giving birth. And my mum told me that she felt her body slump while she was still inside her. So she knew she was dead when she was still inside her. And she was in labor for two days, dude. Two days trying to deliver this child that she knew in her heart was already gone. Um, and it, I mean, it, it doesn't really get darker than that, does it? I think... <laughs> No, I mean, I mean, it, that's just unbelievable, and I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that, man. Honestly, and, and um, I think that I don't know. Um, like Natalie's, Natalie's second birth was was quite traumatic, and um, nowhere near like that, you know. Like, so I'm not comparing it like that as, as bad, but even how traumatic it was for us, and definitely her, obviously, way more. But you know, like like she was she was basically given all these drugs at the last minute when she didn't want them. So she was so Elias was born and she was suddenly given all this drugs so she couldn't push and then he got whisked off by someone and we were like weren't told what was happening. So we we thought, you know, potentially he was dying. Then she got taken away and I got left on my own. I didn't know what was happening. And you know, so and the trauma of that is still with her you know and i think me me to a point to be honest with you and and um so I, I i you know i think for something like that to happen there isn't a way of getting over it you know what i mean like like i don't i don't think you know i'm not an expert but you know this therapy and, and stuff and but i i don't think you know it's the worst thing that could happen to anybody and, and you know it's almost like i mean this is all you can't compare anything really when it comes to loss, I don't think. But if you had a child that would grow up, you know, and something took that child, this is dark, isn't it? But <laughs> but it's, you know, it's talking it's about life. it, isn't it? It's, it's life. Yeah, it's yeah. life, exactly. And if, if you know, if that a child was taken away like that, it's sort it's almost like, you know, um, okay, you know, that happened and, it, and that child was taken away by something that wasn't, you know, inverted commas, my fault, you know? But I think something like for your mother where where they feel what I believe, you know, mothers feel so, you know, involved and responsible for that situation and what happens to that baby. You know, it, it, it just isn't something that I think that, you know, they could come back from. And I, I think it's that thing, isn't it, where pressure like that put on the relationship is, is you know, and people become not, you know, the best parents 
when they're unhappy, you know, and that's that's what I've learned. It's like, and I always say this, it's like on an aeroplane where the, the oxygen comes down and they say, put it on you first, then put it on the kid, you know? And it, and it's, that's what I think with parenting. It's like, you've got to make yourself happy and and then your kid will be happy. You know what I mean? And and so many people are like, oh, you know, just make, make the kid happy, give them this and this. It's actually, you know, they feed on your emotions and stuff. And it's like, you have to, you have to be happy, man. And you have to be doing it. And then the kids will bounce off that sort of thing. And and so, yeah, I, I think that, uh, um, you know, and it goes back to that thing, doesn't it, of, of, of your parents. You look at your parents as like these kind of heroes or whatever, but actually your mum's just a woman who, you know, do you know what I mean? Like she's just normal, you know, and, and having lost like that is 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 um just unfathomable, really, isn't it? Yeah, man. And I'm gonna go see her soon and and have a full day where we just talk all about all of it and just you know get get it all out. Um, because yeah. you know do, doing this, doing this for the last you know six seven years, week in week out with you know the most beautiful array of characters and getting to talk i mean this isn't a fucking interview about a band do you know what i mean this is like this is therapy and i've been doing it for so long now and i love it so much but i haven't applied it to my my family life and i was just sort of i realized as i was turning 37 last week and it was mothering sunday and my sister's birthday slash anniversary of her death is in the middle of those two dates as well so every year around my birthday and and mother's day and this anniversary of this loss is like every theme you can imagine a mother to go through. And and it was only this year that I fully appreciated the absolute whirlwind of all of that. You know, my birthday, yeah. Ju- Julia's anniversary, Mother's Day, it's like in the space of a week, you've got every yeah. theme of life and motherhood. And I was like, I can't believe we've never spoken about this before. And I felt so bad and, you know, like just like I hadn't shown up for my mum in the way that I could have. But I think you need to reach a certain age of maturity where, as you say, you understand, and sometimes it does take 37 years, I guess, but you understand that your parents are human beings and all the mistakes they've made are a result of the pain they've endured and, you know, the problems they're trying to work through themselves. And and we're all perfectly imperfect. And and for me, actually, the best thing that ever happened to me and my family, I would say, is that my parents got divorced because they made it like the home situation was so gnarly in the years that followed on from that it was just unbearable but then when they split up and now they're like best friends man and like they live together even though they're divorced they're not remarried they're not a couple but they they spent all of the pandemic together uh and since then my dad's just moved into my mum's house his house is just like empty i spent a bit of time there in one of the lockdowns and and now they're like the most happy unmarried couple you could ever hope to meet and it's really quite beautiful because they've endured so much pain together and they've yeah so much damage to each other but now they're making right for it and um all of this in its own strange way dude does lead for me at least directly into the art that you make and i've said this to you before a couple of times but there's particularly with your solo stuff um but as i've been delving back into light year it was always there there's real pain and real tragedy and real bleakness to your music but it's delivered in such a way that it's hopeful and optimistic and celebratory. And it's funny because, you know, Scar is this kind of genre that is so easy to rag on and people so often do and have done since it came out. You know, it's never popular with industry people. And it's always the genre that people like to shit on because it's just trumpets and Hawaiian shirts. That's why I wore my Hawaiian shirt today. <laughs> and silliness. But it's like, well, have you not heard the specials? 
Have you not heard the pain and, and, and the social allegories that are in these songs? Like Scar isn't just fucking let's drink beer and do the skank. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's soul music. It's urban yeah. street soul music. And I think you embody that so well with what you do. And I just, I love your songs. I love your lyrics and how bleak some of the stuff is, but it's delivered in a way that's like, no, I'm not going to let life bring me down. Was that attitude towards art always there for you when you're getting into songwriting? Did you understand that you could approach gritty, sometimes, you know, depressing subject matter, but do it in a way that, you know, elevates people's souls and your own in the process? Um, this is another hard question, but in a, in a good way. Um, yeah. I. How is it being on tour? <laughs> <laughs> How's the tour going? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's over, um, it's over is... actually. It's over. Yeah, it's finished. That's like on Alan Partridge. How is the drummer? The drummer is fine. When when she thinks that um, Lynn is is uh, Bono and Lynn's mate's Bono. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Um. I I think. Um. Man, it was it was just. I um, and I've said this before in a few interviews, like. I was coming out of a situation where, you know, my dad wasn't there. I was getting um, beaten up and mentally abused on a daily basis at, at boarding school, whilst living in a house in a state going to boarding school. Um, you know, getting electrocuted, getting burnt, getting, you know, made to clean the, the laundry for the whole of the, 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 the dorm and proper like fucking, you know. What's that movie? where it's, it's Malcolm McDowell just before Clockwork Orange. If, it reminds me of that, with, with the prefects right. and the fags, and you've got this whole tough hierarchy of, as you say, like just basically extreme bullying, emotional. That, that's what it was, man. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I think the school isn't like it now, but like, you know, two of the teachers got done for being pedos. Um, you know, like uh, it was it was called a sprogging system. So so if you were a sprog, you, the, the yeah. people above you, anyone older than you could tell you what to do. Anyway. Um, yeah, I just, I just like basically, I cut a long story short, like punk rock, just and Nirvana and that sort of music and Beastie Boys and the hardcore just pulled me out of that, you know. And then skateboarding at the same time met like punk rock and, and scar and stuff. And, and I was like, you know, a guy with ADHD, a lot of anger, you know, like I, it couldn't have been better for me. It, 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 and I moved to Derby and I suddenly realized, like, oh, there's all these amazing people in Derby that, that, you know actually think i'm pretty cool and they're nice to me and they're not beating me up and they're not calling me names and they're, they're not you know being being like you know they used to call me like jewish fucking fuck yellow skin bastard all, the, all these horrible 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 shit to me and um it was it was just awful and um and it was just like this this weight lifted off me you know and all the lyrics of the, all this music as well so and then i found out oh i can you know someone's like oh, here's a microphone you know what i mean i was like okay so I can now talk down this microphone. People are going to listen. I'm going to jump around, you know, and I can talk about all the shit that's, that's hurting me and, and all inside. And then I can do it in a way that's like angry on stage, but in a really positive way. And then, you know, when, when you start seeing people sing back those words, you're like, holy shit, you know, this is, this is connecting with people. I'm going to do it more, you know, this is helping me. And, um, and, and that's where the lyrics, the lyrics were just direct fucking therapy, man. You know, like, like for, for me, for my friend, like when my friends were in a situation and they were getting, 
you know, their heart's broken for the first time, uh, depression, anxiety, social anxiety, you know, it all went into my lyrics and it still does. So I can't not do that. And <laughs> like, I wish I could, but it, I wish I could write a song, you know, um, in, in a, as a songwriter for somebody else. But um, Like less personal. Yeah, but I can't. And it, it's just like, I, I just write those things. And there were silly things, you know, there was silly lyrics and stuff, but um, you know, the Your majority got of big stuff, hands and shops at Aldi. Yeah, yeah, One yeah. Of the best. I mean, that was that was ripped <laughs> off from MC Pitman. So, so um, uh, yeah, uh, credit to him. But um, yeah, it it was it was because there's all little jokes as well in there. So you know, there's, there's like Neil Neil hates Star Trek but loves uh, Lord of the Rings. So there's like references to that. But then in after that, when he say for example, he says, uh, "What is it? Council of Elrond, tell me to do something new." That that means when Lightyear realised we were breaking up and we put that into the song. So that was Neil saying the council was us when we got together and we were like, we're splitting up and, it, you know, uh, and, and so, so there's all these little things hidden underneath the, the kind of, um, you know, jovality or job, I don't know, of, of scar, you know what I mean? What, what about the line where they're all saying it could be worse, Chaz, you could be the drummer in Busted. Is there any hidden <laughs> allegories there or is that just a straight up throwaway funny little? That's just a blatant diss. Cause, yeah, cause yeah, basically yeah. it was like, you know, when Busted were kind of like around then and stuff yeah. and, and Ironically, like they they've got... just announced the 20th anniversary tour, arena tour today. So funny. Oh, sick. Well, yeah, yeah. we'll get a light year on, on support. But <laughs> um, I think it, I think it was because like, uh, oh, yeah, because they didn't have a drummer, you know. So it was like, and we and we were all about like touring hard, you know, like eating out of fucking bins, you know, being skin and, and, and whatever and really breaking our back to, to, to tour and, and make it work. And, um, you know, then suddenly this band in inverted commas popped up with no drummer you know what it doesn't fucking matter does it happens all the time now but 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 then it was kind of well the lines know, were more clearly drawn then it was more about us versus them as you know perhaps ignorant or naive as that might be that was that time where alternative actually meant something you know and, and not to go down that rant now but i feel like for me alternative is just such a meaningless term now because it's like alternative to what but then alternative was as you say you know like you're getting beaten up if you're into punk or skateboarding by chavs and mm. like, you know, townies, whatever people wanted to call those kind of people, you would go out and take your life. I mean, more so in the eighties, I think it had gotten a bit better by the nineties, but you know, it wasn't a socially acceptable way of life then was it to have piercings, tattoos, dyed hair, all of these things that are associated no, no. with now I mainstream. Mean, yeah. I, I mean, I remember skating and, and having bottles thrown at us and, um, you know, just people starting on us just for having baggy clothes, you know? And yeah, it was, it was a, um, you had to, I remember like walking through Derby on a, on a Saturday night and you'd literally like look down every street, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd be checking who was behind you and, and, um, you know, and you, you would end up in quite a lot of fights. And, and, um, so, you know, that's, that's just how it was, I suppose. But I think that like now, like younger people are just so much more like, oh, man, just chill the fuck out. It doesn't matter. You know, it's like, but the other side of that is like, I get that. And it's great that you can listen to any genre and stuff. But the thing I, I, for me, music was something that it gave me, um, you know, like a tribe, you know, and, and it was That's like, exactly what I was going to say is you just said it, you found a home in this scene and this community, which, you know, you hadn't, ha you didn't have in your life before. And it pulled you out of this dark spot um, because you could see, Oh, these people are my people. Um, and it was a beautiful time for that community was and especially in like the midland cities where we grew up and this is something i want to hone in on here again something i mentioned to you in private before but 
there's something that you nail so well in your lyricism and the tone of your music that is like what Shay Meadows does with his films for me. And it's a distinctly Midlands humor, more so even East than West. But, you know, I think Birmingham, Nottingham, Derby, Coventry, all of these places share a, a sensibility where, you know, life's a bit bleak and it's a bit rough um, and dark shit does take place, but you don't let it beat you down and, and you still have the ability. And it's different to Northern humor and it's different to Scottish and it's mm. its own thing. And, and if anybody doesn't really understand what I'm talking about, if you just watch any Shane Meadows film, you'll see it in his work. And I think you do a musical equivalent of that. Like I'd love to be able to articulate that in a more, you know, academic way, but you know what I mean, don't you? And maybe you could shed some thoughts on just that kind of Derbyshire East Midlands sensibility and sense of humor that is very much a part of Lightyear and your solo stuff. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, you're, you're totally right. And, 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 um, I, I think, you know, that, that, um, don't forget the Midlands, like, um, lyric is, it is always, cause it's a kind of joking thing, but it's like, you got the South, it's London. You got the North, you're Northern. And the Midlands and Midlands culture as well is kind of overlooked quite a lot. Um, you know, look at how many good bands come out of Birmingham. You know what I mean? Like it's unreal. And, it's unreal the list of bands. And it's and yeah. even even with Sabbath, who's the obvious one, they've never been treated in the same regard as the Beatles and, and Liverpool. Like if you go to Birmingham, it's only now in twenty twenty three that there's even like a little Black Sabbath bench. And that's kind of their token. And it's like, well, these guys invented a genre. Same with the specials from Coventry. Like, these aren't yeah. just era-defining yeah. bands. They're inventing brand new genres. You had, you know, fucking Judas Priest. You had Duran Duran. You had UB40. You had The Beat. Like, it goes on and on and on and on and on. Um, but as you say, it's always like, it's either London or Manchester or South or North. And then you're like, well, what about this massive bit in the middle? Like, is that inco inconsequential? <laughs> yeah, totally. And... I mean, yeah, it's kind of third place always, isn't it? Like for, for, for most things and investment and, and everything. And, and um, I mean, even if you look at Derby, the amount of bands that came out of Derby um, were just, would, it, there was always something going on. There was just, there was hundreds of bands in, in Derby over the years and, you know, really, really great. And it, it, I think the thing is Derby as well, particularly was, it was quite hard for you to get out of there because of what we're talking about. It was, it was, it was this thing where it wasn't recognized, you know, but then, but then I found when you went to London, you know, we just, we broke our ass to fucking nail our London shows, you know, because it was a huge thing. Like, oh my God, we're in London. And, and, and then when I found when you lived in Brighton and London, it, it kind of, people weren't as, um, you know, it, it, it felt like a bit of a, a slightly more shallow scene, you know, it, it was, and it, I, I still feel that a little bit, to be honest, I don't want to upset anyone, but it, it feels sometimes like you know it's more because there's a lot of industry around that it, it's more about the industry you know it's about oh who's the flavor of the month this manager can do this and you know we're starting to do this as opposed to starting it because we absolutely essentially have to do this because i have to sing these songs because if i don't i'm gonna fucking lose it you know like and and we're not making any money but you know when there's no prospects you know we, we're not gonna get out of here we're not gonna go on tour and, and and I guess that's the DIY thing. We end up going, actually, fuck it, I can do this. You know, I can do anything I want to do. I can book off first tour. Um, so I, I think there's there's a different sort of thing like that. And I think that happens for like places like Glasgow as well. You know, so many amazing bands out of Glasgow and, and, and Scotland and stuff. And it's not like your normal sort of industry place. So I think that there's there's that for sure. And I, I think the kind of humor thing is, is almost like 
it's kind of like so dry and and kind of um you know um i don't know flat but also quite clever i, th I think it's, it's kind of a midlands humor um and and also i mean definitely people in derby over those years were pretty pretty crazy you know there's someone in the water with with those years and it wasn't just like you you know it was it was everybody were doing this this crazy shit that, that was going on some of the stuff that it was like every time we went out you know someone would be jumping off the top of a billboard onto a car they'd they'd there'd be like you know people naked on fire and and you know it would all it was always something cracking off so i'm not sure if that was just derby but um well no it, it was very much a midland thing i think as well i mean that's right my, that's my i mean i didn't see you guys growing up like for whatever reason i would be out in birmingham all the time and the scar scene in birmingham alone around the time of late 90s early noughties when you were doing it um and i don't i mean did you play birmingham often I don't remember ever seeing you we, back in the day. We didn't. We didn't play a lot, but we played. Um, I think the Foundry. Yeah, man. Um, Love that venue. That was one of my first ever gigs in there. But there was some did, great bands in Birmingham. There was Fast. There was you know Trig yeah. Boy. There was Pignut, Ben Ray, who now runs Slam Dunk Festival. And this is something we'll get into in a bit as well. I don't want to get into this now, but just how many people in that scene are now doing such awesome jobs in, in other areas like that DIY mentality has stuck with them and they've applied it to, you know, business models and, you Completely, know, like yeah. careers in the industry. But I do think you are correct about that whole kind of South industry vibe, because even when I worked on Karangdu, that was based in Birmingham. And I'm so thankful for those years because it was a different thing. Like we were in the industry, but not of the industry, if that makes sense. And my time yeah. there was so blissful. And then when I moved to London and saw like the politics that are involved and the kind of double crossing and backstabbing and all this stuff, it's like, oh man, this, this isn't what it's about. But that scar scene and that time in, in Birmingham in particular, and then you had like four foot fingers and sponge and all these other bands. I know you've got some funny sponge stories with fucking touring with <laughs> them, but like, it was just, it was thriving. It was thriving. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and what an amazing time to be a skateboard punk rock you know diy oh, songwriter like it, it was the golden age of that stuff wasn't it and then you obviously had jackass come along and you know it felt like we'd kind of taken over mainstream culture at that point and we were the mainstream but without changing or selling out like the, the mainstream almost bought into our culture and we're just like yeah. fucking hey like feeling like the kings for, if only for a summer or two you know yeah cool. I, I mean that you've nailed it and that's that's how it was and and um yeah i i, I think it must be really difficult not to have had that that time you know like if you've grown up as a teenager into your 20s and you know onwards like like and you've not had something that happened i don't know where i i would have gone you know like without that and and i and i mean that in a you know like i i on i honestly think i'd probably be dead or in jail and and you know i'm basing that on things i've done so, or, or working a job that you absolutely loathe, right? Just in the rat race, like going through the which motions. would end up probably killing me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, leading yeah. you to in dead or in jail or dead. Yeah, yeah. I heard a quote the other day, and I I also heard another guy quote something. I thought, what a prick! But uh, I'm going to be that prick. And uh, it was like uh, I can't remember what it was, but it, it said, um, "If you think uh, if you think going out and being adventurous is dangerous, you should try uh, monotony." Monotony. Uh, that that can be deadly, you know. And I, I was like, it, yeah. If I had gone into it, the thing is, man, 
I just didn't fit into any job, you know, like I didn't fit into any educational system. I didn't fit into university or school. I, I, I left every one of them. I walked out of exams. You know, I went to like different universities, colleges, and I went to all of them and it didn't work. I went to the only job I held for about a year was a skate in a skate shop. Um, and and it was it was just, you know, I wasn't fitting in. You know what I mean? Like I and, and I did. I worked at university. Yeah, I met a professor who studied ADHD and so this is when I found out I had ADHD and we sat down and, and, we, and we said oh you know he was like well the thing is most people um, I think it's like the testosterone level matches the creativity level so if he was on a graph it, they both would be going up at the same time and he was like the majority of people with ADHD either end up in jail or, or they mold their life around their skill set and they're successful in that in that skill set and and then, and he and he was like, a lot of them turned out to be stand-up comedians, or a lot of them turn out to be uh, statistically, you know, lead singers in bands, uh, or, or or things like this. And and you know, and then at that point, he was like, so what? What was your history? And I was like, I was lead singer in a band, you know. <laughs> and and like, it wasn't like financially super successful, but that set me up for my life. You know, it was like my friendships. You know, like I wouldn't know you without music. I wouldn't know like any of my friends without music uh or skateboarding so so and, and your wife like, as well right like absolutely that connection with steve and sorry steve <laughs> yeah 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 so so yeah you know, from, your whole life that. and I, I feel the same i talk to people about this it's been on my mind a lot recently but like everything that is good in my life is a direct result of music and the you know connections yeah. chemistry friendships that have come from that I, if, if you take music out as you say i i would be left with nothing yeah i, and I imagine i think i you know, and I'm sure people are like, oh, God, I've heard that one before. But it's so scary, you know, like it's so scary for, for that to go. And and the older you get, I think you take it for granted. And, and um, you know, I struggle to find new music I'm really, really passionate about now. Um, but I think that's just how I'm listening and trying to discover it. There's too much going on, you know, like just give me a fucking mixtape and I'll have that for a month. And then, you know, I'll become obsessed with that band. But like and and if you just take all that away it's um but then again you know there's i've just started writing so um i think i mentioned to you i'm writing a book fuck knows what will happen you know i'm just really enjoying it there's other things out there you know sometimes when you do become that obsessed about something you block off everything else you know it's like i found this you know i've got this thing that's that's keeping me um you know safe and i know it and and, and this is my group and actually sometimes it is good isn't it that there's other things out there that can, can do that um but I just don't need it right now. <laughs> yeah, I think it's good to challenge yourself and reinvent yourself as well. And something I wanted to ask you today, because I think we're similar in the sense that, you know, we're sensitive and intelligent and thoughtful people, but then we have this real wild side to our personality as well. And sometimes it does bum me out when people who don't know me kind of reduce me in, in, in that sense to just like this caricature. And, mm. and like you, you know, you had such a rep back in the day. And I know from myself, like that reputation doesn't go anywhere in certain circles. So if you're running around, you know, getting naked on stage, doing all the crazy shit that Lightyear used to do, you're obviously writing thoughtful music as well. And you're a thoughtful guy, but a lot of people only see this one version of you. Is that been a struggle for you to, you know, come to terms with that in your life? Has it been frustrating in any way that, you know, you are in the eyes of some people just like this wacky crazy dude and they don't see the full picture or have you just made peace with that and you accept that those who see you see you and then the rest whatever they want to think you know that's out of your hands and let them yeah think. i think i think like um 
I'm totally fine with it now. I, I think there was a point where when I left Lightyear, um, kind of for the first time, whatever, I, I was really lost and I didn't really, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It was, it had a bit of an identity crisis. You know what I mean? I was like, am I the singer of Lightyear? Am I somebody else? Because I'd done it for so long. Um, and um, I, I don't care now. I don't care. I mean, I'm kind of drifting away from stuff, you know, like, like, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm so pleased that we got to this podcast, but I'm, I'm, you know, like I get asked to do podcasts. I did one yesterday. I'm probably not going to do any more, you know, like, like I'm kind of backing off from socials a bit. And so I'm kind of, I'm happy with what I have. Um, I think it definitely affected me at some point, you know, cause, cause again, um, ADHD, with ADHD, it's such a deep sort of condition that, you are looking for, um, you know, people go, it's attention seeking. Well, it's not. You, you, the ADHD brain looks for acknowledgement. It looks for reassurance constantly. It's constantly looking for reassurance and, and connecting with people. So I would be in the van, you know, dressed in, I had an alter ego called Hillary Chainmail. So I would, I would wear like a chainmail <laughs> uh, dress and I had, I had like a super soaker, a wig, you know, and, and the super soaker full of piss and, beer and stuff like that and and like then i'd be like setting people's hair on fire and and you know stink bombs in the van and smoke grenades in the van and and it and it would be like then that would just be like a tuesday afternoon you know what i mean so it, it would be i think it got <laughs> it got a bit intense for people and obviously i didn't know i had adhd at the time and and um and and you know i get out of the van we were talking a big dinner table and i get out of the van like that you know what i mean i arrive at a venue as, as hillary chainmail and um and they were just like what's go what <laughs> what the fuck is going on <laughs> and um so you know i think I, I i was i was just off the leash you know it was just like i, I was let i was i was allowed to be where i didn't have to mask anymore you know my adhd and um, i i just i was just like fucking do what i want when i want and obviously that that became quite a lot for people um and now i know that, that obviously you can't be like that the whole time and you have to mask, you know, and then sometimes it does just come out and you're just like, like, like going crazy and stuff. But I'm all good with that. And I think people like they only saw if they only choose to see that, that's OK, you know, but because there's so many other people that come up and they just go like, oh, man, you know, that was so funny that time you got naked. But, you know, like um, we love Lightyear, you know, one of our friends passed away and we come and see you and we always think about, you know, Lightyear and, and how much, you know, those songs meant to him and that changed his life. And so things like that. You know, you're just kind of so humbled by that and what people say that you've done. Because um, I still don't quite believe that when people say things like that. And I don't know if that's to do with my self-esteem or something, but I'm just like something I, I, I have done, I don't always believe can, can change people for a positive way as much as that. My, I guess my negativity that I'm trying to deal with, you know, I, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's just so humbling that that can help other people. And um so I, I think I'm totally fine with that. And also, man, it was fucking fun. You know, like I can't I can't pretend it wasn't fun. Like like a lot of the time it was it was so much fun and, and, and I feel like I've lived, you know, ten lives already and, and uh in a way and I, I and I'm content with that. And I'll be you know, I'll if, if I make it that long, I'll be sitting in the old folks' home, you know, just with a lot of memories. Um or, or, or regaling them with stories of storming the stage whilst ice tea's playing and all of that good stuff from back in the day and i mean dude at, at the new cross show i only saw the second of those two album residencies that you just did but and i know you were aware of it in the moment and i know you will be even more now but just the the atmosphere in that room 
um, was so special and and like you're such an authentic character, and I think that's what people connect with. Um, you know, whether it's Lightyear or your solo stuff, is it's just you. You know, there's no act, there's no shtick. Although there's like a performance element, and you you're letting wild a little bit. It's from the heart, and it's it's so fucking real, and it just speaks to people who crave realness in a world of you know so much disposable content and throwaway phony, um, you know fake yeah empty vessel artists like you, what Lightyear represent and that whole scene and that whole time i'm so thankful to have come of age in that time and in that community and and the people who are at your show and i, I find it when i go to other shows by like you know sonic boom six and you know it's just you see people that you've known like your whole life and, and these these people are some of my best friends you know whether it's aid from fast or nick and layla and barney or yourself like it's a beautiful community and it has been slighted and never given, you know, I think the, uh, the you know, the credit that it, that it does deserve. I don't, I don't that's almost like better one, in a way. Yeah. I mean, there's not one person in, in, in those bands that isn't nice. You know, there's not one person that I've met all over the years who isn't, isn't just a lovely person, you know? So it's, I don't think so. I mean, maybe, maybe like one, but out of thousands of shows, that's not too bad. And um, like, yeah, I think it's a, again that whole scene is humbling. You know, it 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 was like um, it was it was like right, get on the road, you know, get in the van, let's go, let's do it. And and to cut your teeth like that is is a it's hard to be egotistical, you know, like in in that environment because you get rooted out. You know, it's the same with you know racism or sexism or homophobia, or whatever. If you if you were like that in in that scene, your band would be rooted out and you wouldn't be on tour. You know, like yeah. people just like just not playing with them. You know, like call the agent. No, this is what they're like. Don't book them. You know, and they and they would go. So, I think it was like a self-regulating thing. And I know other bands felt like it was a bit of an elitist thing, but uh, and I guess maybe it could be. But I, I, we never felt, we never saw that. You know, we never got that elitist side to it. So, um, it was a you know the whole house on name era thing was was just was was incredible. And you know, like. When, when we toured so hard like one particular year and then we went to play Reading Festival and um, it was just absolutely it was the it was the second best day of my life apart from my kids being bored but it was it was just to walk out on that stage and have no concept like there was no like oh we've got you know a million Instagram followers or whatever there was no concept of, of we knew we'd sold a load of CDs right but we didn't know that there was going to be like Five thousand people watching. It. Yeah, you couldn't and quantify that following. There was no reference point. A, there was no way at all. So, and I remember looking like I think Nell was like, "Dude, look through the curtain," and I was like, "I looked through the curtain. I was like, holy shit! Like, what? Like?" And then, and then I was like, "Wow, that so was that, was that for like the last band? You know, I was like, for that was for the band." And and Nell was like, "No, that's for us, man. They've got like light year banners, and they've got." you know, like signs and this, the chanting light year and stuff like that. And, and I, I, I'd actually stayed up all night on, um, I, I took some, uh, I shouldn't be saying this, did I? Say whatever you um, want, mate. I okay. mean, it's, it's all about what you want to share. You can say whatever you want. We talk about we, all kinds of stuff on this show, including, um, you know, paraphernalias of the narcotic. I, kind. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I took something accidentally and, uh, was up all night, um, hallucinating and, and uh and very strong very strong stuff i ended up waking up in a tent uh on the other side someone else's tent i didn't know like completely naked um, obviously yeah had to get up figure out where i was uh and then and then 
uh, basically, oh shit, I'm playing, you know, get the sound check. And so ran, ran all the way back, got my clothes on. Um, then I was about to go on and my sister gave me, like she said, she flew over for it. And then um, she was like, oh, here's a, here's a, you know, here's some water. And I was like, oh, amazing. Thanks, Jess. Oh, that's, that's the sister looking out for me. You know what I mean? She's here. So I neck this water and it was, it was uh, Red Bull and, and vodka. And um, and I was just so fucked. I just neck, you know, like I didn't taste it. And I was like, oh my God. And then went out and played and then, and then, you know, third of the way through the set just vomited like absolutely everywhere. And there's a picture of me just head in hand, like vomiting. And I think, I think it was just, um, you know part of the whole the whole thing i was so excited but man that thing that live music does for you and and it, it's just un, uncomparable to anything else i think i like there's no drug better than when you come off stage and all your bands and you, you don't even say anything you just look around at each other and you look and you all have that look you know that smile there's no analysis i mean we never did that anyway with light year um it was just like either good or bad i 99 percent of the shows i absolutely love but <clears throat> that that one and one at the Concord too once was in Brighton was it was just like I'm alive you know this is this is this is just everything to me and all and all the bands were like that and then we went out with everyone in Brighton who was just amazing people and and, and still are and you know we go out to a house party you know what I mean and, and have a laugh and, and and it was just um really really good time and and uh still really honored to have been part of that really Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The thing for me, which is interesting, uh, which I want to touch on briefly, is the difference between the UK and the American scenes. And I've toured with most of those American ska bands, and a lot of them are friends. Um, but there was always drama with that side and there's you know it's more of a business there's, there's more divas in the mix and what was always so endearing for me and still is about all the uk bands is they're just mates having a laugh in it for all the right reasons and i mean it must have been so funny i've spoken to a few bands about this about going out with american bands at that time and just the difference in like the inner workings like you know you're in one room fucking all having a laugh joking around <coughs> You know, they've got like, you know, there's tension and drama and it's just like, guys, it doesn't need to be this way. And you must see that time and time again. And again, remind yourself how lucky you are to get to do what you do with all your mates. 
yeah yeah like i think um <clears throat> the first band i think we we toured with they were american was slow gherkin and um and we um who were just were so good like the brass section and the songwriting was just was amazing huge influence on us but we were so excited and you know they were so chilled you know it was a real a real clash but um we ended up being really good mates and stuff we went to see them in santa cruz and visit them and stuff but definitely the, the step up to that like like americans definitely um to them it was like the majority you know not like big dinner can say well they were just like on a mission they're like you know like brothers to us we toured so much with them i love those guys but they're playing was... the new cross next week actually i'm going to do a podcast oh. with, with dave as well i'm going to go down and do the dj business after their set as well and can't wait man because you know playing that tune of theirs and, and dancing with you and bars you sent me the video yeah just good times sorry just got excited no, it's good i can hear it now dude it, like just that was a really good night and and yeah i was seeing him at manchester punk festival and um and it's just exciting to those songs bring us back to like so many so many things but i think like you know big d are a good example of just the work ethic of, of you know american work ethic and um, especially the sort of boston thing um but i think that when you step up slightly it becomes a business you know because there's money involved and anything where there's money involved when you start doing something and you're doing it to pay the bills, it becomes more serious, you know? And then when you get a bit older and you do it to start feeding your kids, it's really fucking serious. So it's like, you know, when is something that's really fucking serious been fun? You know, probably, probably never and not for long anyway. So it, it was, it was, it was like that. And again, we were quite like, I, I, I never, I never called it my career. You know, I never called music my career. Maybe I should have done, but then, you know, I didn't see it like that. And I, I know a few bands did, see it like that and um and i feel like i i kind of got the most out of it because i didn't look at it like that and you would see these bands coming over and you would see their tour managers being absolute pricks you know what i mean and you know again it's it's definitely not absolutely not all americans at all but there was definitely a breed of american tour manager that are just cocks and it's almost like you know that's expected to be like that it's a bit of an old school thing. And that comes from me tour managing as well, you know, for, for quite some years. So you would be dealing with it. It's just like, it's cool, man. You know, everything's cool. Like it, it, it's to me, when people are like that, it's almost like they're, they're scared because they don't know what they're doing. You know, they're so tense and right. This has to be like this, this. And it's like, just chill out. It's fine. You know, whatever you want to do is totally cool. Like there's no, there's no. And that's the know. only way to meet them as well is with calmness and kindness. Like I had a thing, I think it was Papa Roach. Um, and I was booked to do a tour with, it was like Papa Roach, Alien Ant Farm, P.O.D. Or, or something to that effect. You know, classic kind of new metal-y era stuff. And uh, I've been booked to DJ. It's day one of the tour. And the tour manager is flipping the fuck out because for whatever reason, he's not been told there's a DJ. And so he's like, well, there's no way we can make this work. And he has such a fucking go at me. I just go in that moment, cool. Then I walk, I'm off the tour. And then he got all confused and he was like, what? Because I, I was just like, I am not having experienced people like that in the past and been a bit more meek and timid. I was like, I don't need this shit in my life. I would sooner totally. walk away right now and not even do the tour than put up with you for five days or however long it's going to be. So I went, cool, man, I'm off the tour. See you in a bit. And he couldn't believe it. He was then so shocked <laughs> and he's almost trying to scramble it back. And he's like, no, no, no. And I'm like, no, man, I'm out. I'm done. Like, see you in a bit. And he like even yeah. emailed afterwards. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And I, I just I, I love that because it's like if you, if you allow them to show, so if you show them that it's affecting you, 
and that they yeah. some way have a, a, a control or a power over you, they've won. So it's just like, yeah. nah, man, see you in a bit. Obviously, if you're like managing the... a band, it's a different thing because you you can't just walk on Steve and the rest of the guys and lost alone and just go, I'm out, see you in a bit. You've got to exercise a bit more diplomacy. But I was just like, <laughs> I'm out in a bit. Yeah, and I, I think that's the best thing you could have done because like, like you say, you're experienced enough to know that this is going to be a shit tour for me. I'm going mm-hmm. to be the bottom of the barrel. I'm going to be the bottom feeder. You know, I'm going to be like, you know, you know, we had it with Lost Alone. Like the, we've had like lighting engineers, you know, whitewash the, the, the show in between. You know what I mean? We've had sound engineers talking back over microphones through the monitors, telling them they've got to turn down, you know, during set. Like it's, it is a complete power thing. And, and, and it's really strange it, 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 that, that some TMs do that. Because also that like your crew reflects on your band, you know? So, so when, when Lost Alone tour with My Chemical Romance, um, they were just, firstly, the band were just so fucking nice, man. They were so sound, you know, like they were just like, how's it going? You know, like I remember Lost Alone had a like they, they were sound checking and, and Mike Chem had a uh, photo shoot in in um, uh, the, the uh, could, could have been Wembley, actually. And uh, they wouldn't come in for the photo shoot until Lost Alone had sound checked, you know. And and I think that's punk rock to me is, is like that's that's shows that you've come from that scene. It's almost like, you know, I'm going to respect your your thing. doesn't matter that we're headlining. And by the end of it, I was just loving my camp. I was just like, these guys are, these guys are wicked. Really, the crew's really cool, you know what I mean, and, and, and really enjoying it. But then, like, you've got other bands you're on tour with, and it, it could just be, like, a monitor engineer, you know, like, who's just an asshole, you know, and, and you're just like, okay, I'm now associating this asshole with your band, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, there was, there was a, a, a scar, US scar band, quite big, not going to say who it is, Um. And my best friend at the time, their, their sound engineer went up and said, oh, give me a blowjob and you can get on the, the bus, to, you know, to see the band like this in front of all of us. And we were just like, what the fuck? Like, you know, it's like, oh, you've, you've just spoiled the whole show and the band's whole back catalogue. <laughs> you know, it was it was that bad. So I think that, um, you know, that power trip in, in the music industry is, is, a str- is a strange one, definitely. When people have power, they, they, they you know, they do turn into different things it's the stanford prison experiment you know where they they give those people the power and they, they suddenly they don't know they're doing it but they turn into this like crazed lunatic yeah i think doormen are the same you know i think if you're mm. walking into a bar or a club and the doorman is inappropriate or aggressive or just an arsehole then you go well i don't want to come in this club now because if they would employ these kind of people and you know that's what greets you as you go in they set the tone for the night and yeah. i think i think you either have to be well there's only one way to approach and deal with stuff like that is you have to be on it like if you're the boss you got to know everybody that works for you under you what they're all about and how they conduct themselves because if you don't and you claim ignorance it's like well you've still let the side down by not knowing what this person was up to and like i've never been in a position where i've been a boss or had a team but i'd like to think that i'd be an amazing one because i'd want to run a respectful tight awesome ship that everybody who works with everybody else takes pride in that work um and yeah man but that, that's a whole other tangent we don't need to go down that hey can you tell me about the time you rocked up to john feldman's house with the uh, <laughs> the, See, the, I the spray paint did. I, I told this story yesterday oh podcast. you did oh no 
Because, uh, you know, I, but, there's the Steve-O story. There's obviously the Ice-T story. I didn't yeah. want to get you to tell either of those. I can, I can, I can tell it. I um, imagine I just, you just fucking reel them out like a greatest hits collection. But well, I I'm, thought I'm, the John yeah, Feldman I mean, I, one, I don't know whether that's on record anywhere. I'll, do it, I'll, 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 I'll give it you, Matt. I'll give it you. Give it me. <laughs> um, give, give me. Give me the better version. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll, I'll spice it up a bit. Um, yeah. Um, so set so, the scene. So, you're going out there to visit your dad, is it? Is that why you're out in no, the so, States? Yeah, so I went out to see my dad, and then the Beat Union were, were uh, in, in LA, and um, I messaged Dave, I think it was, um, and I was like, hey, man, you know, like, like, how's about I come down for a bit and just hang out? Um, and, and Oh, it's raining quite heavily now. I can hear it. Sorry. But... Um, yeah, they they were like, yeah, come down. Like we're just we're just hanging out, doing the record and, and doing some promo. And um, you know, you can stay in the record labels like bunkhouse sort of thing. They had like a record label, and then there was beds at the top. And um, so I was like, fuck it, yeah. So I got that. I think I hitchhiked or something. I ended up in a car with with um, two travelers, like uh, down from Venice Beach. Oh yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, I went to Venice <laughs> Beach first. <laughs> and um that's another story though that, that got a bit whatever um but um yeah so so I, I i went to venice beach and um uh got got this lift down and then and then dave had a really really nice house on the on the seafront and uh and it was it was great man we just we hung out we drank you know um we, we just went all around la and it was it was really really exciting and just funny and and you know those those guys are lovely guys and um aid's become so, one of my best friends in the world over the last few years he's like a brother to me man i love that dude so much and you know yeah. he's, he's talked a lot about that time and how exciting it was as you say to go from this diy uk punk scene to all of a sudden you're in fucking la on the record label dime um making records and that's when you like feel like you've really won right you beat the system yeah. and you're like we're really I mean, doing they, it they were hanging you know they carried it went on to do you know the warp tour and, and stuff like that but they were yeah they were hanging out with their heroes every day and um so so um but you know they 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 worked hard they you know it's like every musician you every every minute spent in a rehearsal room is a minute towards something like this isn't it so um but yeah so so we we, we went out on a pretty full-on night out and um ended up in a house it was it was the stripper's house and um, there was the stripper pole in the house and Luke went, oh, check this out, check this out and, and tried to do a spin around the stripper pole and it went, and there was a massive bang and the pressure from the stripper pole had a disc on top and the disc went pong and flew across the room and went through the wall, like, like at, just through the wall and, and we were all laughing, you know, like, oh my God. So I was like, I'll go get it, I'll go get it. So I went into the, the other room opened the door and um there was like i think like a hot rod and then like loads of car paint so i was like um and again i suppose just alcohol and adhd i was just like oh there's some paint i'm just gonna spray my balls you know like i'm gonna spray my balls and see if it'll come off spray my balls um blue and um and then it just wouldn't come off and i was like okay cool i'll, I'll you know whatever and then carried on with the night went back in got the stripper disc and then um you know passed out somewhere and then like kind of woke up and and um the union were like oh um i'm you know we're, we're gonna go see no effects and um they're doing like a private show in 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 la and and whatever so, like, fucking amazing and they were like oh he i was like who are you going with now like, oh john feldman from goldfinger and i was like what okay cool and they're like let's go up feldy's house let's let's you know do you want to see his house i'm like yeah yeah and, like it's just up in the, the hollywood hills and 
so you know you, you, you're young and you're just like do you want to go for goldfinger's house like yeah hell yeah like this is amazing so we went up there and and um and we went we went in there and and, and it's just amazing house and and you know beautiful studios and obviously he's kind of um quite quite a high flyer in the, the production world and then yeah and i was just like yeah yeah and i was really excited and then dave was like dave, chas 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 like show show felder your balls show him your balls and, and like feldman was just like looking at me like looking at dave like what He's like show you your balls so i was just like felder i didn't say felder i was just like yeah yeah okay okay and then just got my balls out like that and they were just like obviously still bright blue and then kind of like i mean it felt like it was a week you know it felt like he was looking at my balls for a week and and yeah like i can just me, picture his face now <laughs> i know it i've seen that face yeah at me at the balls and me at the balls you know and i was just like oh shit like this is like you know he he i grew up listening to his music i'm in his house in la he's looking at my balls intensely distinctly um, unamused right totally not amused at all and and you know and i was like how do i get out of this you know like like what's the out what do i say like have you finished looking at my balls john like i i didn't know i didn't know sort of how to get to and, and i think he just went there was a moment of silence and they just went like sweet balls bro <laughs> and, then, and then just carried on and just went and i was like oh fuck you know that was that was my my uh introduction to, to john Feldman. and um yeah just had some blue balls but it was it was it was just a good time and and you know we we found some black widow spiders in a bar and i was on a tandem in drag and going through like this fucking ghetto and yeah it was it was just like you know it was it was a great time to hang out with them and then and i think also like i didn't have any direction then at all so it was like you know i was really looking at a place to go and i could have stayed in la and but then you know the time ran out i got better get a flight home and uh, to nothing do you know what i mean so i went back to the uk i had no band i had no solo music i had what no year did house, that year break know? up dude oh um i don't know i mean the first time like 2000 and i don't know two three i don't know i'm not sure but um you know i mean that was devastating you know like i i because I, I was the one i i said i'm leaving i was like i'm gonna leave the band i can't do this my mental health was too bad and um not that i realized that you know i mean i can remember my, my social anxiety was so bad i couldn't i mean i was i wasn't homeless but i was sleeping on floors you know people strangers like all the time in brighton and um i just couldn't even go out i couldn't go to the shops you know i couldn't eat in front of anybody um i, I was just and i went to the doctor and i was like like how can this be that i i can quite happily get a microphone and, and go and you know sing to if, if you said there's a million people out there i'd be like fucking cool let's let's do it you know um but then i was like well, but why can't i go and eat a hamburger you know in a, in a restaurant and she was just like i don't know you know like who knows like sounds confusing to me maybe you just need to stop drinking and i was like i don't really drink that's not the problem you know what i mean i was like that's that isn't the issue here and it was just that time where mental health you know wasn't a thing you know at, at all and then so yeah it was really dark and like real low point and then just sort of gradually clawed my way back out of that and that's when lost alone were like you know do you want to come on tour and be a tour manager you know and so i just jumped in the van again that was the solution for anything when i was just getting in the van you know well fair play to them man for you know i guess uh, steve would probably never admit this on a public platform but you know light year must have been 
an inspirational band within Derby, just showing that you can get out and tour and do it. And so for them then to pay that back and, you know, to, yeah. to take you out is a, an honorable and awesome move on their part. And that's yeah, kind of was... that's how we connected, really. That's how you and yeah. I really got to become close friends is through, you know, me coming out and spending time on the road with Lost Alone and, and with yourself. And that was really where our friendship, I'd say, began. Ironically, Definitely. it wasn't in the yeah, star yeah. scene. No, no, yeah, it's strange. I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't think of it like that, but that, that's how it happened, isn't it? And, and um, yeah, I mean, it was an education. And, and Steve, you know, um, Steve has just always been that driven fucking dude who's like, I am going to, you know, there's no question I'm going to do this. And it was great to see them recently with, with Mike M on, on like, you know, there's a photo of Steve in front of like, you know, a, a, an arena of thousands of people. And, and it's just like, I'm so glad he got that photo. It just it, it it does him justice and it does lost alone justice and and um it's it's where they wanted to be and um that education you know I I had no idea what tour management was like but I learned through lost alone and and uh, and also you know that that Steve applied a lot of pressure you know he wasn't he wasn't a guy who would be like right you know just what you know I wasn't come out and have a dos yeah He's yeah like, exactly you're going man. to work for me he's like you're working man and. You know, it wasn't like, oh, where's the guitarist? Is he drunk somewhere around someone's house? We've got to go get him sort of tour managing. It was like, has that email been sent? Are we there? What's our EPA? Have you thought that the ferry might need, you know, sorting out because we might be late? And at the time, I didn't really give a shit about any of that stuff. You know what I mean? But but it it, it definitely um, gave me a basis, tour manager did, to, to carry on when I came out of the music industry. And and um, I still use those skills now, to be honest. And, and so I'm really grateful for that. It was hard, you know, it was stressful because there was a lot of stress on, on them um, because they got signed and then they, they, you know, they got, you know, dropped isn't a nice term, but well, they didn't get dropped. The, the record label got dissolved and it was Warner Brothers, um, Maverick, I think, something. But um, yeah, so it, they had a really tough ride and, and, and in turn, you know, it, it was tough for me. And um, But it was it was a great time, you know, touring with Paramore and getting to know those guys and, and um, 37 for Mars and all these, you know, big arenas and stuff um was, was was great and a real amazing experience so um yeah I'm, I'm grateful for that it was cool and so then after you stopped tour managing uh is it the app thing that you did for a bit and didn't that go well and then what happened with that because there was a time when it seemed like that was going to be your like yeah, focus so, for a while because it took off right yeah so so i had this idea on on um one of the tours, I think it was the real big fish tour. Um, and oh, actually that was before that. And I just sort of parked it. And the idea was that we, you know, you don't need to be taking merchandise on the road. It, it, you could have it, um, directed garment printing, you know, you could just have your merch there, QR code, bang, it turns up at your house. Um, and which obviously say, now is very topical with all of the fees, which venues are taking. And, you know, I think that is in the narrative a lot at the moment, along with Ticketmaster they're these two things at the moment that fans and bands are looking at with these extra additional charges that, you know, customers are having to pay, which is just, you know, not really fair in any way. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and that was, that was it. It was, it, I was just like, this is bullshit. Like why on earth are they, they having to pay for this? You know, like, so, um, yeah. And, and a lot of people I've kind of said that to, Oh, that's the idea. They go, Oh, well, you know, I've had that idea or I've heard of that before. Well, it hasn't been done before. And, um, if you did have the idea, you know, it was a long way for, for us three, um, my business partners and myself, to get to that point, you know. And the more you dig down into Hawker, the more that the more that you realize actually 
this is great, you know, and 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 I think I still think it would be a game changer. Um, Are you just still doing it? Um, no, so I I'm a shareholder now, so right. um, I, I we still chat and, and kind of like talk about you know I put bands on to and stuff, but um, um, it was it was the thing is it wasn't making enough money to to, to kind of um, you know um, sustain you. Yeah, and we need I needed like a career and you know a house and things like that, so. My my personal position was very different than the other two, and um, so I was just like, look, let's just do this, and and um, but yeah, they, you know, they just worked with Roger Taylor and Queen, and um, you know, we had one artist that that would definitely not be selling a ton of merch that did about four and a half grand in one show. You know, um, the whole idea of collaboration merch, like you know, like say if Lightyear did a tour and you came and DJed or something, we'd do a Matt Stocks and Lightyear, uh, you know, collab T-shirt. All you need is a design. You know, there's no minimal print. You don't run out of colors. You don't run out of sizes. All that stuff. Um. So and and the direct garment is like top. The direct garment printing is like top of the range stuff. So it's like really good. Like this is this is like I. Some would argue it's better than the screen printing. You know, that's how good it is now. It doesn't crack. You know, it fades a bit, but it doesn't. It doesn't crack. And so um yeah, it was it was really exciting. And we developed the app and and we worked with a lot of people on it. And uh, it's still going now. Um, it's, I, I think it's the cultural change that is the difficult part of it. It's getting people's heads around that that if you do it properly, it can really, really work really well. Um, but also it's that cultural change of the people buying the merchandise as well. That was quite difficult to, to get people's head around sort of post-COVID as well, because people were like, you know, oh, we will, we can use, you know, our phone to scan, but like also we kind of want to get back to normal and stuff. So, but it's still going and they're doing really well. And just got like um, a huge investment basically into the into the app and the company so um yeah it, it's going good but it got stressful as well startup life is pretty stressful um so yeah and then i came into the real world after covid so yeah it's not funny man world, but... the music industry is full of so many dinosaurs um you know i'm constantly trying to pitch new ideas and yeah the gatekeepers have firmly got you know their hands on the old way and i think it's going to remain in their grasp until you have to claw it from their dead hands you know i don't think the industry will fully change for another 10 15 years because of the people running the show and they're just not open to new ideas they care about money but what they don't care about is creative thinking and they're just not very good at it because the old school way was very much just like well this is how it's done and most people who are in positions of power in the music industry don't actually have to think progressively in any way it's more just sticking to what they've always done phoning it in maximizing their profit for minimum effort um and there's so few people who are at the top that are willing to like rejig and restructure and you know like fuck it let's flip it let's flip the narrative let's try something completely different and i thought covid might have created a bit of that you know especially with streaming and the idea mm. of like mixing obviously you still do the live ticketed show but then let's stream events as well and you know so much stuff and there's something i've been trying to pitch for ages as just something that i could do on the road for bands but you talk to managers and agents and they're just like oh you know i don't know it's new and it's like okay then we'll just watch the thing that you claim to care about die and or, or we'll wait for you to die and then we'll <laughs> then we'll try it a new way and i don't look yeah. at that as defeatist i think that's just that is the cold reality of it um, yeah i think i think i think um you've got to really be quite pioneering uh to do something like that and people don't like having worked in like a few corporation corporate environments after hawker in a cultural change role people don't want to change you know like like they they don't 
want to try something new. The majority of people, they're like, you know, for me, I'm like, let's change. Let's try something new. Let's experiment. Let's do this. And people are uncomfortable with that. The majority of people, I think. And, um, and I think after COVID, everyone was like, we just want it to be normal. You know, we just want it to be how we, we knew it was and how it used to be. And that's totally understandable. Um, but we, we definitely had some meetings with quite, well, very high up management and stuff. And some were like, this is, this is genius. Like, you know, when you go into detail and you do the full presentation and, and they're like, you know, it, 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 it saves 90% water and 65%, you know, um, energy, you know, compared to normal screen printing. So it, it, on an environmental front, it, 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 it's really good. But also, you know, but then a lot of them, majority were just like, you know, this isn't going to work. You know, they would, and, and I was like, well, you know, it, it wasn't like a, a, um, a dragon's den, whatever you know moment it was just for that like, reason i'm out <laughs> yeah 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 it was, it was like but this is literally like we're showing you evidence of a situation of a small artist doing about 100 cat venues playing a festival you know to about 300 people and doing four and a half grand's worth of merch you know so your artist with support from you know the, 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 their team their social media team and all this stuff is gonna is definitely gonna do you know it, it's scalable do you know what i mean so it, it's like well this works there you put this much fuel into it you get this much you go up here and you know it, it that's business do you know what i mean and so it was it was kind of like a shock that, that no one was and but you, you're right it, thinking about it it was post-covid you know we were coming out of covid and nobody wanted to take a risk on anything in the music industry then you know or the events industry or anything because you know because it was kind of fucked so so you know i didn't really think of it like that but you know and it's that thing isn't it sometimes the best move is not making a move and and i think they were probably looking at it like that but i think if you're a forward thinker you can do better and i think that's that's the people who change the world are the ones who are accepting you know that, that they're going to do try something new you know what i mean and you look at the, the world and that's they're the kind of the pioneers really so I, I i think that someone will grasp it you know what i mean well like queen has and roger taylor so you know i think those that are punk rock and, and forward thinking will survive anyway and i did think that during covid you know i was like yeah certain things will die out um and maybe that's inevitable but if you're an artist or a creative and you have a voice and you need to get shit out you know nothing's going to stop that and that's the way i've always been is like you know i i need and want to interview people and have these connections mm. so you know i mean i don't make any money from my podcast anymore i just do it for mm. the love of it and then i go out and fucking chase money doing other stuff this for mm. me is yeah. just a way, a way to feel alive and it's like you know and if there comes a situation where it comes back around and i'm making money from it again great but if not that's not my incentive. but i think that's how it does happen yeah because yeah when you stop chasing real, it you know yeah because you know you're not doing it for anything you're doing it and, and that's pure you know like and and there's not that thing in the back where you're like oh I, I, you know i have to do this or whatever it's like you, you you're, you're not being constrained by those those parameters and you know there's, there's subconscious parameters but they're still there and and you know like it if there is a a world event which there was like covid who's still doing what they were doing and that that's the good shit you know what i mean that's the stuff that is going to last and actually that's something that i would probably invest in you know like like if i was going to invest in someone it would be the people who are still doing it no matter what. And, and um, 
so yeah I, I that that's always the stuff with more soul i think is, is is when you know you've got to ask yourself why are you doing these things and and um you know and if you keep doing them and striving through man it, it's just in your blood isn't it i think amen dude hey listen we're we're pretty much i think at the end of, of a wonderful conversation i think i've uh asked you nearly everything i wanted to and it's been lovely you know connecting and getting into some stuff which i hadn't heard from you before i'm going to bring this up and sorry for bringing it up because i know i know it's a, a matter of sensitivity but i have to because i want to pledge to you that i'm going to help you see this thing through till the end so uh, a few years ago you started making a movie this music's not for you is that what it and it's, <laughs> i should know this because it's, it's one of my lyrics this music doesn't belong to you yeah music it doesn't yeah. belong to you a light year lyric and it is about exactly what we've been talking about the late 90s early noughties uk scar scene um you got i guess a certain way down the line with it and then what mm. happened was it just kind of the funding from pledge what happened with pledge kind of pulled the bottom from under you and then it's just you're trying to fund it yourself time yeah fucking you know it becomes just a bleeding watering hole uh, of emotion yeah energy yeah. money totally um like so we had a really good team around the film um we had like mel who's a great producer we had like great you know a bunch of camera people and editors and, and we're all like ready to go you know like we went is it to mel light was she working on it with you mel mel light was she working on it with you yeah yeah i know mel so she, i used to work with her at the golden lion in bristol great girl great oh, friend yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. so so um yeah it just i mean that that side is like that was awesome we got the ball rolling and it was like right you know we and i had this idea this concept i mean i i you know it probably would change now but it was tying it almost to like this film of, of me um you know being a parent and and, and things like that because that's what was happening at the same time and in my head i've got this, this image but um so yeah we, we 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 got the crowd in um crowdfunder all sorted with pledge music and um super stoked so we got enough to kind of like the first round it's like right let's you know get everything get the hard drives you know get everything going uh no one got paid for it uh but we had the equipment we we were you know travel and you know petrol money and all that so right we got all these you know interviewed adequate seven interviewed ben ray from slam dunk and the same stuff you're saying you know those people that come out of that scene and what they're doing now um so had all this got a script um you know just had everything ready and then right you know the next chunk of funding was due to come in and it didn't come in and so i was like okay cool you know it's going to come in do you know what i mean and, and um one of my mates worked for pledge you know he was like it's all cool man fine okay cool i'll just sit back you know then it didn't come in and then it still didn't come in and then i got and i started to get worried and i was like what this is this is weird you know because they're supposed to be a big company and then i got this email from from the guy from pledge he was like the ceo and he, he was like hi Chaz, um don't worry everything's under control uh we're just having a bit of a situation with payment and bank accounts or something like that and i was like why is he emailing me saying don't worry you know when they're a big company like you know it, who is this guy like what's going on you know when someone like that says don't worry you start to worry ironically like, the exact opposite effect begins to happen yeah yeah exactly and and i was like shit and then obviously it started unwinding and there was a really big band who had like i think like a million or something crazy and and in crowdfunding and and uh, probably less than that but 
they were making, you know, it was like their solicitor was involved saying you owe us this money. And it turned out, I think what they were doing was they were, what's that saying? Paying Peter to pay Paul, something like that, where they were taking money from one pledge and then put it into another one and then like skimming it, the money off the top or something. And that was a whole system they were doing with multiple projects with different artists all around the world. And um, so, yeah, it just gradually started to collapse. And then um, it did collapse completely. And they took all the money um, from all those people. And, um, and then one day I just got an email from a solicitor saying uh, you will not receive any money. They've gone into dissolvement or something. Um, and, and basically no one's responsible. The money can't be retrieved. And um, that's it, basically. Hard luck. You know, like, you, you can't get it. And it was, it was just, it was really fucking devastating, man, because they wouldn't even give me the data to email people um, to let them know what happened. So, and I get, I get hung up on shit like this. Do you know what I mean? It, 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 it stays in my head. Like, I feel like I've failed. And it, it's something that has broken my heart a bit, to be honest. And, like, I couldn't tell people what had happened. All these people that had, had gone, you know, we're totally behind it. This scene was so much, you know, so much passion. So many, so many people involved in it. And um, I, I couldn't tell them. You know what I mean? I couldn't email out. And, and eventually, I, I managed to, because that's what I cared about. You know, I, I was like, I'm not going to get the money, but I need to tell people what happened. And then I got it and then I managed to get it eventually. And then I emailed out to everybody and was like, you know, this, this is what's happened. And I still didn't get hold of everybody. Um, and then, and then that was it really. And then people were like, look, it's all good. Let's crowdfund again. Let's get this fucking film going. But I just felt like I'd been, you know, it's the, if you've got the hunger for it still, you know, like, like, I, I think I, when you get kids, you know, it was just like, I don't have that time to do that now. And it, it was such a shame because I did at the time and we had a great team and that all just kind of dissolved. And, you know, there's a load of stuff on hard drives. I don't know how good the quality is. You know, we had a load of footage, but that was, that was it. And, and like now it's almost like if I was to go, look, let's crowdfund it, let's do it again. You know, I'd just be a bit like, oh my God, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I don't like giving up. I don't like giving up. And I think, I think, you know, I will, I do, I do want to do it, but it's just that how huge that project was on my own, you know, like well, this, this is what I'm and, saying, mate. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I'm yeah. not just, I'm not just saying that. This is why I wanted to say it on this podcast, you know, to commit openly yeah. and honestly, if you want me to, I would be honored to help you produce it and see it through. And like, I've made a documentary before with airborne and that was about 10 years ago. Now I started that, finished it about seven or eight and um have been hungry to do something else for a long time and i have time you know i i'm a, yeah. man of, a man of leisure to a point and you know that scene means so much to me it's the only reason i'm where i am today is because of that i can completely relate to everything you're trying to you know say and show with celebrating it um i love you and i understand you know how much personal responsibility you took on with that project and how much pain it caused you you know, falling by the wayside for a bit, but all hope is not lost, my friend. Yeah, I mean that's wicked, dude. That's really cool. I think I think part of having ADHD is and not to go on about that, but it's, I think it's something that a lot of you don't understand. It's like you take on multiple projects, and you know, your 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 enthusiasm isn't connected to your actual capacity of what you can do. So 
I've got to be really careful with that because, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing a new solo album. Yes, I'm, I'm doing, you know, um, a book. Yeah, I'm doing this. Yes, actually, I want to start a new band. You know, oh, there's a new Lightyear album coming out. And, and I just set myself up with that sort of thing when there's too much stuff to not be able to do it. But I, but that's because I try and do everything, you know, and I'm not like the other film, I'm not saying I was doing everything, but I was organizing it all. You know, I was, I was definitely getting people in the right places. I was, I was like, you know, writing the scripts. I was, I was um, getting the interviews and, you know, things like that. And it, it was, it was just, it was just sort of too much. And, and I, I guess what I've learned now, I'm older, you can say, can someone do this? You know, yeah. can someone else well, do this? Also, there's no time constraint on it. And I think it's something that you and I could just work on whilst doing all the other stuff you want to do, you know, and it's something, mm. something we could do with no budget because I know people who have camera equipment and audio equipment. And, you know, I think when there's money involved, and I've learned this recently with the other podcast that I do with Jesse Leach, when there's money involved, and I'm not saying this is what happened with your thing, but there's expectation and there's pressure then to deliver because mm. you feel like, oh, you know, they've, they've chipped in. Whereas if you're just getting out and doing it in your own time mm. um, and there is no budget and you're just doing it, you know, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And then your next thing you know, right, all the interviews are in the can. We've gone through, yeah. all the, we've gone through all the stock footage. Now all we need to do is make a story out of all the footage that we've got. Um, and the edit, I mean, the edit's really all the time. That's where the time goes. Um, yeah. It's something that can be worked on, I think. Yeah. With, with no I mean, overheads. Dude, yeah, I, I think you're right. And I, I think can make it happen, dude. That's the pressure. It's the, it, it's, putting myself under those pressures that I can't deal with anymore you know like it's really bad for me like any sort of pressure like that and and whereas actually like just doing something enjoying the process and and the thing is about this is I, I still feel so strongly that it just that story needs to be told because it it is a strange little kind of niche thing but again there was there was hundreds of bands around the UK you know that people were out at shows like three times a week it was a scene that just wasn't talked about it wasn't really an enemy it wasn't really in Kerrang and but if that if that had been any other genre, if there was bands on one label touring around, you know, the, the UK and and you know, with thousands of people going to see them at festivals, it would it would be, you know, they would and I it's that thing where I think that if a magazine coins a term like Britpop or something, and they and they go, Well, we we coined this and we we're nurturing this, this is our baby, you know, then then they're they're into it. But if it's something that's happening and, and it's not to do with them they, they're like well we're not going to and i i felt it was a bit like that really um well i have all that i have all that press insight and that is exactly the way it works that is exactly yeah the way it works. okay if, if, if okay. they if they can't claim ownership of it and sell it as their idea almost and their discovery yeah and it's like ah uh, and, and they ignore it until they can no longer ignore it and i guess what happened with that is there wasn't a band that then became you know like a lost profits big that's a very interesting scene because all of those bands were very much nurtured and championed funeral for a friend, the blackout kids in glass houses, you know, that kind yeah. of scene. And I think yeah. it's because they had a lost profit that was undeniably massive. And so you just have to write about it and, you know, cap down and all these amazing bands in that scene. None of them were just genuine. to be, just to be fair to the lost profits. I just want to say it was what it was the guy from lost profits, not lost profits <laughs> because very, very important, you know, yeah. 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 And I'm sure you know that, but I just, I, I always, you know, no, Luke course. was in the boot union, you know, that I went to LA with and he was, he was in the, uh, you know, whatever. And, 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 you know, he, he, he fucking struggled with that. You know, there's a lot. Well, I him. mean, again, it's a side tangent. We don't need to go on, but like those poor bastards, man, the rest of the guys, their whole, yeah. their whole life's work completely pissed away. 
because yeah, of the, the, yeah. ter- the terrible actions of one man. And again, that I don't think that's something you can ever really get over, is it? It's fucking heartbreaking. No, no, no not at all. But, but yeah, man, um, you know, I'm totally up for it. And let's talk about it and, and kind of, you know, get a plan and, and um, you know, maybe make it something that isn't like negative, um, you know, because I, I guess I've just got such negative connotations with it and stuff like that. So, so, but yeah, let's, let's have a chat about it, dude. And um, let's see what some, we can do. You need some fresh energy. I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, man. yeah, yeah. And and just not that thing of like I'm doing, you know, everything. Oh shit, I've got to go pick my kids up. Yeah, yeah. Very quickly. Uh, final question is: solo plans? Are there any? What's going on? Because I love your, as you, as you know, I love, 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 love your solo music so much, and uh, I'm desperate for more, Chaz. Desperate, Thanks, dude. Thank you. Yeah. So again, I'm I'm writing slowly and and kind of not putting myself under the pressure of. I have to do this by by then, and um, and I'm enjoying the process, and and um, and and just really so writing slowly. But yes, I want to do. A, uh, I'm doing a second album, um, but thanks for saying that because, um, you know, I do I do enjoy doing that, and um, just letting it come out. You know, like when I'm when I, whenever I try to do something specific and it has to be this or that, you know, it, it doesn't come out very well. I don't think, and um, when I just do it where I you know as a necessity then it comes out subconsciously and I, I enjoy doing it and it really helps me. And I think it's the, the better work that I do. So yeah, the, the solo stuff is, 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 um, ticking along, you know, I have, I have probably about four or five demos, um, to go into an album and, uh, you know, um, I was, I was talking to Pete, uh, Fraser, who produced my first album recently. Um, so we, we recorded that, at, um, amazing Grace studios with Sam Duckworth, jay um and so yeah we were talking about going back there as well and the thing is with pete is he's a bit like you he's one of those instigators you know he'll be like just let's just fucking do it let's do it and then and then you get sucked in and it's actually you know this is great and um so sometimes i do need that um and and so it might happen that was only the other day that they said that but um they were like look we can work because i was like i can't afford an album And, and, and he was like well we can work this out by by um you know, we can kind of give some writing credits to the studio and stuff. So I was like, okay, that's cool. You know, so so we we might be able to do it that way. Um, well, to yeah. quote to quote the great Chaz Palmer Williams, "Where there's a will, there's a way, my friend. Where there's a will, <laughs> there's a way." And I guess it happens when it happens. We get it when we get it when the time's right. Um, exactly. I, yeah. I'm already excited though, uh, yeah, dude. Yeah. This has been awesome. This has been one of the longest ones I've done in quite a while, and um, just really pleased that we got to get into you know as much of the stuff that we have and uh you know that i've always had great affection for you Chaz. you're a dear friend and um yeah i like getting friends on the show and getting to kind of you know go deep and talk about stuff which you would talk about i think in private life off mic but there's something about this situation that brings out you know that extra layer of stuff and um i like going on those journeys with people that i already know and getting to know them more and yeah this has been really cool man so i appreciate yeah, your time totally feel the same dude really do and i, I was wasn't quite expecting uh th- this conversation so it's really good it was it was a it was it was a good thing man and um it's nice because like we don't get to do this you know we don't get to just sit down and chat and i with all my mates now it's you know life's just so full-on life won't wait you know as Rancid said and um it, it, it's nice just to sit here and, and chat man so yeah big up matt loads of love and um yeah i'll, I'll Let's get on the phone sometime. Sort it out. We'll talk, mate. Go be a dad. 
And uh, <laughs> yeah, love to the family, mate. And I uh, hope to see you really soon. All right. And we will talk. We'll talk very soon. Wicked. Thanks, mate. Someone's pissing the sink It's that day old man that keeps giving me a wink And someone's chatting on the bass bin I'm feeling anyone not after heads is left I'm leaving Do the kids still say K-hole? Do the kids still say laters? Do they say special K for ketamine? Do they say methylene, deoxymethamphetamine? You should have come on down like the price is right Up to 99, what's one more night? Add an N, add an A to MBMA Well there's a will, there's a way, there's a will, there's a way You should have come on down like the price is right Up to 99, what's one more night? Add an N, add an A to MBMA Well there's a will, there's a way, there's a will, there's a way Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.